Welcome everyone here this morning. It's good to see you and welcome those who are watching on live stream. And I uh, do want to wish everyone a happy Father's Day and I uh, hope that this is a day that you're able to celebrate uh, your father and spend time with family. And uh, so glad that you are, are here with us this morning. This morning we are going to continue our three-week series in the Psalms. And uh, this morning we are going to turn to Psalm 90. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, I encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 90. Uh, psalm 90 is actually the only psalm in the book of Psalms that is written by Moses. As the title reads there, as you turn to Psalm 90, you'll see the title reads, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And the theme of the psalm will be the title of our sermon this morning. Uh, it is, the title of our sermon is, The Eternal God and, the Mor and Mortal Man. The Eternal God and Mortal Man. And so as we think about this concept, as we think about this theme, we recognize that God is eternal, that He has uh, never had a beginning, uh, that He will never have an end. He simply is. And yet, in contrast, man is mortal. We have a beginning. Uh, we are subject to decay and death, and therefore our life on this earth will eventually come to an end. The eternal God and mortal man. Now in the first part of the psalm this morning, what we'll see is that the psalmist considers these two realities in contrast with one another, the eternality of God and the mortality of man. And then as we move into the second section, we see that the psalmist responds to this truth. And the psalmist responds to this truth in prayer. And he prays for wisdom, he prays for pity, he prays for satisfaction, he prays for restoration, and he prays for meaning. You know, a central or important aspect of this psalm is the reality of death. And death is a scary thing. In fact, as a society, we don't like to think about death very much. We try to ignore it or avoid death as much as we can, speaking generally of our society. In contrast, the Bible talks about death a lot. In fact, the Bible talks about death so much that it's bound to make some people feel uncomfortable. But I want you to see from our psalm this morning that the Bible doesn't talk about death simply because the Bible is a morbid or hopeless book, which it is not. But rather, the Bible speaks about death because God wants us to know that if we understand who He is and we understand who we are, then there is, in fact, real hope in death. And there is the possibility for us to experience real joy in the life that we live now and in eternity. So with that in mind, I want us to look at our psalm in these two parts. First of all, we'll consider a contrast between the eternal God and mortal men. This is found in verses 1 through 11. And then secondly, we will consider this prayer, which is found in verses 11 through 17. So first of all, a contrast between the eternal God and mortal men. As human beings, we find ourselves in a vast universe, and much of it is unknown, much of it is undiscovered in reality. 
And so much of what takes place in this vast universe, we are utterly unable to influence or control. And so the people of God throughout the ages have found great comfort to know the eternal God who is the creator and sustainer of this vast universe. That's what we see here in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 90. Look there and we read, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So right here in these opening verses, we see this truth that God is eternal, that God existed before the mountains stood tall, before the earth took its shape or form. Here the psalmist says, you existed from everlasting to everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the psalmist acknowledges that God in his eternality, that in relationship to God's eternality, God's people have found a dwelling place, a refuge, a, a place of rest in him. But not only that, as we go further along in this section, we see not only does the eternality of God bring comfort to God's people, but the eternality of God forces man to reckon with his mortality. We see this in verses 3 through 6. And it's specifically in this section that we have this back and forth where the psalmist continues to go back and forth between God's eternality and man's mortality. Look there in verse 3. The psalmist writes, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. So here, of course, the psalmist is emphasizing the mortality of man. And no doubt, what Moses is pointing to here in verse 3 is uh, the curse that came upon humanity as a result of sin. So in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And as a result of their rebellion, God cursed humanity. And part of that curse was death. So we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, there God pronounces the sentence of death over Adam, and he says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's what Moses is referring to here in verse 3 when he writes, You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. So unlike God, our lives in this world will come to an end. They will expire. We were created from the earth, and we will return to the earth. Then, there's this back and forth, right? So, so in verse 3, the psalmist has spoken about our mortality, right? Now in verse 4, the psalmist will go back and speak of the timelessness, the eternality of God. So look there in verse 4, and we read these words, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So the psalmist is essentially saying here, if, if you were to ask God about an event that took place a thousand years ago, God might respond by saying, Oh yeah, did that happen yesterday? Now, now of course, that's not exactly how God would respond. But, but what the psalmist is getting at here is that he's, he's showing us that, that God, he's using an illustration to point to the reality that God relates to time 
in a way that is different than us because he is eternal and we are not. And of course, we understand this at some level. This last week, actually, I had a birthday and uh, I turned 45 years old. And one of the things that I have learned as I am getting older is that as you get older, time seems to pass much faster. So that when you're eight years old, you know, one school year seems to last forever. Like, is the end of the school year ever going to come? But when you're 45 or 50 or 60 or 70, five to 10 year spans can pass so quickly, it seems. Scientists have actually tried to develop different theories to explain this experience that we have of time passing faster as we get older. And one of the theories that they've developed is referred to as the ratio model. And the idea is that we experience time in relationship to how long we have lived. So if you're eight years old, one year represents one-eighth of your entire life. And so that's a much larger portion of your overall life experience. But if you're 80 years old, one year only represents an 80th of your entire life experience. And so it seems to be a much smaller part of your overall life, which in fact it is, and it seems to pass much faster. Now consider this concept as it relates to an eternal God who has no beginning and no end, who has existed for billions and billions of years, trillions and trillions of years. Now think about this eternal God who has no beginning and no end. How might he perceive a decade or a century or even a millennium? Even a millennium is the, the slightest slither of his overall existence and reality. And so here we see the timelessness of God. But then notice the psalmist now goes back after he has focused on the eternality of God and the timelessness of God. Now he goes back and reminds us of our own brevity, the shortness of our own life. And here he uses two images to draw our attention to the fleeting nature of our existence. Look there in verses 5 and 6. He says, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And so the two images that the psalmist used here is the image of a dream and the image of grass. Scientists have discovered that on average, a dream lasts either a few seconds or, anywhere, or maybe up to 20 to 30 minutes. But either way, it's, it's momentary. It's here one minute and then it's gone the next. And, and even the content of a dream has no staying power. It's a phantom. It, it seems real in the moment when you're in the midst of it, when you're dreaming, but then you wake up and... It's gone, right? And that's what the psalmist is getting at here. A second image that the psalmist uses is that of grass. We know that in the ancient Near East in particular, if there was a good rainfall, 
a covering of grass could spring up and you would have grass, green grass in the morning. But because of the hot, dry climate in the scorching sun, that carpet of green grass could be withered and died by the evening. We know something of this in Augusta, Georgia, right? We know what it's like for green grass to be withered and made brown by the hot sun and how quickly that can happen. And so the psalmist is using this image here to compare the eternal reality of God and His existence to the very temporary nature of our existence. In in one moment, we are vibrant and we are flourishing, and in the next, withered and gone. So we see here that the psalmist has revealed to us that the eternality of God is, a, in one way, a comfort for God's people, but the eternality also of God also forces us as humanity to deal with our own mortality, the shortness, the brevity of our own life. And then the psalmist goes on in these next few verses to show us that the eternality of God also forces us to face the reality of our own sin and the consequences of our sin. Look there in verses 7 through 11, we read these words. Verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So here, notice in these verses that Moses is making a connection here between our sin and our death, between the temporary nature of our existence and God's judgment. You'll notice that in these verses, the psalmist refers to our sin or our iniquity two times. He refers to God's anger two times, and he refers to God's wrath three times. And so the idea is, where does death originate from? I mean, we all know that we're going to die. Everyone knows that. It's certain. But where does death come from? Why do we die? And the Bible teaches us very clearly that we die as a result of our sin. That our sin as humanity has brought upon the world the curse of God which results in death. We see this in Genesis chapter 3 which Moses refers to earlier in verse 3 of Psalm 90. The Apostle Paul states this very succinctly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, when he says the wages of sin is death. And so death was not God's original design. God's original design was life, life forever in the presence of God. But sin brought death. And understand this, this is one of the important distinctions that we need to see is that our sin or or our death is not the result merely of physical frailty. 
But physical frailty is the result of sin, which then ultimately results in death. We die because we are sinners. Now, having acknowledged this connection between our sin and God's judgment and our death, then the psalmist, he poses this question, verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Do you see what the psalmist is saying here? The psalmist is saying that this is, this is the real misfortune, that humanity as a whole either ignores or suppresses this connection between our sin, God's judgment, and our death. So, for example, evolution teaches us that death is merely the product of a natural evolutionary process, that there's no moral aspect to our death. But the Bible says, in contrast, no, that there is a moral aspect to death, that death is the result of rebellion and sin against God. You know, Benjamin Franklin famously declared that in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Nothing in this world can be said to be certain but death and taxes. And given the certainty of death, given the fact that we know that we all will die, isn't it remarkable how many people think so little of death? Isn't it remarkable how many people think so little of how they should live their lives now in light of their pending death. See, Psalm 90 is teaching us that a contemplation of who God is and who we are, a contemplation of our own death is absolutely necessary if we are to overcome death when we die and if we are to live life now to the fullest. So in this opening section, the psalmist goes back and forth contrasting God's eternality and our mortality. But then the second section. In this second section, verses 12 through 17, we see the psalmist's response to these truths. And in these verses, we see that the psalmist prays a prayer for wisdom, for pity, for satisfaction, for restoration, and for meaning. This section is full of hope. It's full of hope for people who are dying. And you might have already thought I've been too morbid in this sermon this morning, but the reality is we're all dying. Every breath we take is in many ways leading us one step closer to our lives ending in this world and for us awaking into the next. I was thinking about this even this last week as I told you I turned 45 this last week and I recognize that in turning 45, if the Lord allows me to live out a normal span of life, about half my life is over. And I may not, I may not be around that long the Lord is gracious, allows me to live a full life, about half my life is over. And what a gift. I didn't plan it this way, but what a gift that the week that I turned 45 years old, I'm studying Psalm 90. 
and forced to reflect on my own mortality and the brevity and the shortness of my own life. And here in these verses that we're going to look at now, what we find is a prayer that Moses gives to us, a prayer that I need to be praying, a prayer that all of us need to be praying in light of the brevity of our own lives. First of all, Moses prays for wisdom. Look there in verse 12. Moses says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What Moses is recognizing here is that we... See, see, everybody knows they have the knowledge that life only lasts so long. But it takes wisdom to recognize how quickly that life will go and what we should do in light of the brevity of the quickness and the quickness of our life. And so we need wisdom... We need wisdom from God so that we will look at the shortness of our life and we will make the decision, therefore, to invest our lives in what really matters, to invest our lives in God and His glory, to invest our lives in His gospel, to invest our lives in in our families, to invest our lives in, in the people of God, to invest our lives in the spread of the gospel. An appreciation of the eternity of, eternality of God and the brevity of life. Do you see? It will, it will give us a sense of purpose and intentionality and focus in life. So that we don't piddle away our short lives on things that do not matter. So that our prayer before the Lord would be, Lord, in this short life that you give me, whatever relationships you give me, resources you give me, gifts you give me, opportunities you give me, I want to maximize them for your glory so that they will count for eternity. I do want to say a word here on this point just to our young people who are here this morning or maybe watching on the live uh, stream. You may be in elementary school or you may be in middle school or high school or college, but understand as a young person, you have a tremendous opportunity before you to determine early on in life. Your life will, it'll go so fast. You have a tremendous opportunity to determine now as a young person that I will live all the days of my life for the glory of God. I remember when I was a junior in high school, the Lord got a hold of my life. I was about 16 years old. And at that point in my life, I determined I am going to live my life for the Lord. And I have not done so perfectly But by the grace of God, I have attempted to do so consistently. And I tell you, I do not doubt, I do not regret that decision for one moment. Life is so short. And every moment and and every minute is so precious. Moses is admonishing us here to now, resolve now to capture every moment, every minute for the glory of God. Second, Moses directs us to pray for pity. Look there in verse 13. Moses says, Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Now, there is some debate about the historical context of this psalm. 
Of course, there's a number of occasions where it seems apparent that Moses is making reference to the fall of humanity when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden. We saw that in verse 3. Also seems to be apparent in verses 7 through 11. But it's also possible that as Moses is making reference to the fall of man, that he also has in mind events that took place in his own life and ministry. So, for example, this psalm fits well to the events that took place in Exodus chapter 32, when Aaron led the people of God to build a golden calf, a false idol, and then led them to worship this false idol. And God's judgment came upon the people. And a part part of God's judgment was death. And what did Moses do? Moses responded by interceding on behalf of the people to God. And what did Moses pray? Essentially, he prayed what's here in verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long have pity on your servants? And in fact, as Moses offered that prayer to God and interceded on behalf of God's people, God did hear Moses' prayer. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, we read, And the Lord relented. The Lord turned from the disaster that he had spoke of bringing on his people. And so Moses here, he says that in light of our mortality and God's eternality, we should pray, one, for wisdom. We would understand how short our lives are and we would use it well. But secondly, we should pray for pity, for the Lord's mercy and grace. Third, Moses prays for satisfaction. Look there in verse 14 and we read these words. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Now listen, this right here is absolutely vital. And in some ways it's so simple and it's so basic that we might be tempted to overlook it, but don't. If we were to ask ourselves, how can we ensure that we will live all of our days, the brief days that the Lord gives us, how can we ensure that we will live each one for the glory of God? Well, here's an idea. Here's what Moses says here in verse 14. Determine that you will consecrate every day to the Lord. That every day you will wake up in the morning. And the first thing you will do in that day is set that day apart to the Lord and seek to be satisfied in His love. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by hearing from God in His Word. So you go to His Word. And by responding to God in His Word through prayer. So every day, before anything else happens going to consecrate, devote this day to the Lord as I hear from God in His Word and respond to Him in prayer and seek to be satisfied in His love so that this day is set apart for His glory. And those days will accumulate until you have a life that has been lived for God. Now, does it have to be in the morning for everybody? Not necessarily. There may be some moms, right? You're getting up six, seven times during the night with your baby and you're exhausted and so forth. There may be some people who are working shift work and so in the mornings you're working and you can't use those hours to pray and be in God's word. But if you have a normal schedule, I think it's good to get up in the morning, start first thing. If not, the idea is that daily consistently you would be setting aside time 
to be with God and to consecrate every day to his glory. My friends, I don't know of any discipline, any habit, any strategy that would be more effective in enabling you to live a life for the glory of God than to set aside every day to spend with him. Sometime every day to spend with him. So Moses directs us to pray for wisdom and pity and satisfaction in the Lord, daily satisfaction in him, and then fourth, restoration. Look there in verses 15 and 16, and we read these words. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Now again, this is a prayer that is full of hope. You might be like me, and maybe you're around 45 years of age, or maybe you're 60, or you're 80, or you're 90 years old. And you read this psalm, and you understand what Moses is saying here, and you say, you know, the tragic reality is I have not lived my life for the glory of God. I have wasted so many years And I have so little time left. And and there's no way I can go back. There's no way I can capture that time again. But you can start now. Verse 15 is a prayer of hope for people who are suffering the consequences of their sin and the consequences of wasted years. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. And listen, my friends, the Lord is able to answer that prayer. Do you remember that the Lord Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he fed 5,000 people? And you might come before the Lord now and you might say, Lord, I don't have many years left. I may have 10, I may have five years left. I may have five weeks left. But listen, my friends, if you give whatever you have left to the Lord, he is able to take it and to multiply it and to use it in ways you can't even imagine for his glory, for your good, and not only for your good, but for the good of those who will come after you. This is a prayer that is full of hope. Eternity is long and our lives are so short. Let us pray for the restorative mercy and grace of God upon whatever years we have left. Fifth, the psalmist prays for meaning, for meaning and significance and purpose. Look there in verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You know, on the day of judgment, there will be many who have worked their entire lives, worked their fingers to the bone, creating and producing and consuming, and all of it will fade away into nothingness. But there is a work There is a work that is done unto the Lord that will last forever. 
It's a work of a mother or a father. Unseen laboring on behalf of their children. It's the honest work of a mechanic who does an excellent job as unto the Lord. It's the work of investing in and discipling children and young people. It's the consistent investment in God's people, the church. It's the ongoing support and labor of of taking the gospel to the nations. These are the types of works. These are the types of labors that will resound throughout eternity for the glory of God. And so we are to pray with the psalmist. Oh God, given that my life is so short, given that my years are few, and yet I face an eternal God before me, May you take whatever I give myself to in this life. May you take the work and the labor that I give myself to in this life. And may you fill it with purpose and meaning so that it's significant now and for all eternity. Will you establish the work of our hands? So here we see in the psalm the contrast between the eternality of God and the mortality of man and how we are to respond. We should pray for wisdom and pity and restoration and satisfaction and meaning and purpose. There's just one other thing, though, I want us you to, I want us to notice here in Psalm 90. As you look at Psalm 90, go back to the beginning, and as you look at the heading right before Psalm 90, you'll see there that the heading reads book four, book four. Now there are 150 Psalms, it's the longest book in the Bible, and the 150 Psalms that are in the book of Psalms are divided into five books, okay? And there seems to be a logic or a pattern to the organization of these five books of Psalms. Now, we don't have a lot of time this morning to explore this, but I just want to point you to this briefly. Books one and two of the Psalms, here we find the most Psalms that are written by David in books one and two. And these two books of Psalms seem to loosely follow the life of David and the events of his life. Then we come into book three of the Psalms. And book three of the Psalms seems to emphasize the temple. Now you might remember we talked about this briefly last week that David was a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel. He had desire to build a temple for God. And so we come into book three and there are a number of Psalms written in book three by the sons of Korah who were attendants in the temple of God. And so book three we have an emphasis on the beauty of the temple and the worship of the temple and even the destruction of the temple. And book three of the Psalms ends with Psalm 89, which we considered last week, which includes a description of the destruction of the temple. And there's this, there's this sense that's left in Psalm 89 that the temple's been destroyed. Well, is God going to be faithful to his promises? Will God come through? And then we come to book four in the Psalms. And book four of the Psalms opens with a Psalm of Moses. The only Psalm of Moses in the book of Psalms. 
And it's as though the, the, the person who's compiling the Psalms and organizing them and putting them together, it's as though as we follow this storyline, David, and David wants to build the temple, and we have these Psalms in book three about the temple, and the temple is destroyed at the end of book three. It's as though the one compiling the Psalms is saying, we need a new Moses. You remember the people of God, they rebelled against God in the Old Testament in Exodus 32 and God was going to bring down his wrath and his judgment upon them and they were going to die and Moses interceded on behalf of them and God showed them mercy and he spared them. And now the temple's been destroyed and the people have been exiled and everything's in rubbles and it's as though the person who put together the book of Psalms is saying, we need a new mediator, we need a new Moses. In fact, this, is, this idea, this pattern that we're following here seems to be confirmed because the last psalm in book 4 also mentions Moses. In Psalm 106, verse 23, this is the last psalm of book 4, we read, Therefore God said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Here's the problem. The people of God need a new Moses. They need a mediator to intercede on their behalf because they are facing death as a result of their sin. And how can they stand before this eternal God? But Moses is dead. Moses himself is dead because Moses needs a mediator. And so who is this mediator? Who will intercede between God and his people? Of course, it's the Lord Jesus, who although he is immortal, took upon himself mortality, and at the cross died the death we deserve, taking the curse of sin upon himself. And then he was raised from the dead, conquering death forever. And he sits at the right hand of God where he lives forever to make intercession for us. He is the perfect mediator. He is the new Moses who brings together the eternal God and mortal man. So that in this life, we might know and enjoy God. And so that our lives now might count for eternity. And we might know and enjoy God forever in the life to come. Let's pray and ask for God's grace to do just that. Oh, Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We confess that you are the creator and the sustainer of all things and that you are eternal. You have no beginning and you will have no end. And Father, as we think about your timelessness, Lord, we are reminded of how frail and weak we are, how short and brief our lives are. Oh, Father, help us not to waste these precious lives and moments that you have given us. Even this morning, now, we want to rededicate ourselves and our lives to you. May every moment, may every minute be lived for you and for your glory. And God, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his life and death and resurrection. And we thank you that through him, 
we can know you and that life has meaning and significance. And it's in his name we pray.